We've spent the past three weeks unpacking one thing that Jesus talked about the most throughout his entire life and ministry, the kingdom of God. And although Jesus never provided a simple, like one sentence definition of what the kingdom of God is, when we read through the gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see over and over again, Jesus sharing stories and examples using both his words and his actions to illuminate for us what God's kingdom is all about. Last weekend, Pastor Steve Matson unpacked the beginning of Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount, which is a sort of kingdom manifesto in order to help us better understand not just what the kingdom of God is, but how we as Jesus followers are to live in that kingdom. And today I want to unpack another example from Jesus of what his kingdom is and how we as kingdom people should live as a result. So grab your Bible, open your Bible app and turn with me to Mark chapter four. Today, we're gonna to be studying one of the most commonly taught parables of Jesus. And, and parables were a common form of teaching in that day, not just for Jesus, but for many Jewish rabbis, where they would share a simple story in order to illustrate a point. And this parable in Mark 4 is referred to as the parable of the sower. And for anyone who, like me, maybe you grew up in the church or you've been around the church for a while now, chances are somewhere along the way, you've heard one, if not many sermons on this specific parable. And that sermon most likely like went a little something like this. There was a farmer who sowed seed on four different types of soil. And the soil represents four different types of heart responses people can have when they hear the gospel of Jesus. And three of them are bad, but one of them is good. And the gist of the message is, what type of heart are you? You know, best case scenario, like you're still gonna be dirt, but hopefully you're at least the good dirt. Now, I'm not trying to diminish those sermons. There's great points in those teachings, but oftentimes those sermons make the parable about us. And as a pastor, I've struggled with this very thing because it's so easy to, to read scripture through my personal lens, my individualistic lens. You see, in America, we're a hyper-individualistic culture. We value being independent, being self-reliant. And this thinking, it plays out in the church as well, even in how we interpret scriptures. It makes it easy to read passages like the one we're about to read and immediately make it about my life, my spirituality, my heart. Now, of course, this story will have application for us as individuals, but that can't be our starting focus. Instead, whenever we're reading one of the parables, we should start with the realization that all of Jesus's parables are illustrations about the kingdom of God. That first and foremost, they're kingdom stories. Oftentimes, Jesus would begin a parable by saying something along the lines of, the kingdom of God is like, and then he'd go on and he'd tell the story. You see, parables are Jesus's way of revealing how God's kingdom, how God's rule and his reign over the earth is coming about. And so whenever we're reading one of Jesus's parables, the first question that we should ask ourselves is, how is this parable revealing God's kingdom? How is Jesus trying to define, trying to show, to communicate to us what God's kingdom is like through this story? 
That has to be our starting place. And so with that in mind, let's start reading now. Mark chapter four, we'll begin in verse one. Mark writes, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. That's referring to the Sea of Galilee here. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat, and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Okay, so you can imagine people are coming from all throughout Israel. They want to see for themselves this Jesus guy from Nazareth who apparently can heal sick people, who teaches with authority, who can make the lame get up and walk. And the crowds, they're getting so big, so vast that Jesus has to be put out on the water in a boat to teach from there because there's nowhere else for him to sit. Look at verse 2. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because there was no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Any any farmers like joining in today by chance? Probably not a ton. If you're a farmer, like let us know in the chat. I'm sure there's a few, but for most of us city and suburb folk, like we're pretty, we're pretty detached from this type of imagery. But remember, Jesus is speaking to a first century farming society. Like everyone listening would have been able to immediately visualize what he's talking about. This would be like Jesus telling us a story, a parable today, and comparing something to sitting in traffic or being on social media. We'd say like, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But there's also something bigger going on here than Jesus just telling a relatable story. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he tells them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. And then Jesus goes on to quote the prophet Isaiah. And here he quotes from Isaiah chapter six. Okay, why is that important? Well, you see the book of Isaiah is a message about judgment and hope. The whole book is about God through Isaiah telling the people of Israel who were being disobedient toward God that he was gonna send them into exile as a way of judgment for their rebelliousness. Israel would be conquered by another nation. They'd be carried off into exile, but there's also a glimmer of hope provided. You see, at the same time, God says that he will gather together a faithful remnant of his people, that he will save and preserve and use for his purposes to fulfill the promise that he had made with Abraham like long, long, long ago to make Israel into this great nation where through them, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That's the gist of the entire book of Isaiah. Now get this. One of the main metaphors used to describe these prophecies all throughout Isaiah, actually through many of the books of the prophets in the Old Testament, is the metaphor of a farmer sowing 
his seed. For example, Isaiah 55 says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it will yield seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You see, all throughout the prophets are these hints, these these illusions, these pictures of a sower sowing seed as a way of telling Israel's story. It's a way of illustrating that the redemption and the restoration that will one day come when God establishes his kingdom through the promised Messiah. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, he helps us unpack it this way. He says, the picture of a sower sowing seed is a picture of God sowing Israel again in her own land after the long years of exile and captivity, of God restoring the fortunes of his people, making the family farm fruitful again after the thorns and thistles have had its own way for far too long. So when Jesus tells this parable, he's not just using everyday language his first century listeners would have understood. He's using language from their scriptures, language that harkens back to the Jewish people's heritage. By Jesus talking about a sower sowing seed, this is his way of saying, listen, it's here. It's happening. Like the exile, the captivity, that's, that's over. God's kingdom has come. This time of renewal and restoration that was promised long ago, it's here. Right now, it's coming to fruition in me. You see, this parable is not simply about us as individuals and how we respond to the salvation message. No, when, when Jesus' listeners first heard this, they wouldn't have thought about their own personal relationship with God. They would have thought about the big picture of Israel, the collective, the communal picture. They would have thought about the kingdom of God and the restoration and renewal that will come to all of God's creation through his kingdom. So what is Jesus actually trying to communicate about God's kingdom through this story of a sower and the seed and these four soils. Well, thankfully, starting in verse 14, Jesus, he begins to spell out the meaning of this parable for his disciples, which is actually incredible because it's not something he did very often. Most of the time he'd tell a parable and then he'd just move on to the next parable or to the next topic without any further explanation. But Jesus here, he wanted to ensure that the disciples understood this. So he breaks it down for them. Here's what he says. Look at verse 14. The farmer sows the word. The farmer sows the word. So right away, Jesus tells us the seed is the word. That's really important. Growing up in the church, anytime I heard this passage taught, it was believed that the word meant the Bible, like it was referring to the scriptures. But that's not actually what Jesus is saying here. You see, in the New Testament, the word used when referring to the Bible, to like the written word, is the Greek word graphe. However, here in this parable, it's not the word graphe that's used, but instead the Greek word logos. And that's a really important word. You see, logos is used 24 times in the book of Mark. And most of those times it's used to speak of Jesus's teachings. 
the disciple John in his gospel uh, actually uses the word logos to refer to Jesus himself. When in John 1, he says, in the beginning was the word, was the logos, and the word was with God and was God. And so when Mark is using this word logos here, there's a lot of deep meaning to it. He's, he's not just talking about the Bible. He's talking about the teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus, about the kingdom of God, about the good news of the gospel. Now, it's vital for us to clarify what we mean when we say things like the good news of the gospel. Christians say things like that a lot. What do we actually mean by that? You know, for most of my life, if someone were to ask me, what's the good news of the gospel of Jesus? I would say something like, it's the reality that I'm a sinner in need of a savior and Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sins and rose again three days later in order to forgive me of my sin and create a way for me to spend eternity with him. That's the gospel, the gospel message. Now, I completely believe everything that I just said is true. The problem though with this definition is that it's not the complete story. This definition of the gospel that I just gave and that so many Christians today give, it's individualistic, right? It puts the focus on me instead of on Jesus. It's about my getting right with God so that I can go to heaven, but I'm not the end of the gospel. Jesus is. Alan Wakabayashi is a pastor an author, and he has this great book called Kingdom Come. And over the past few weeks, I have been thinking a lot about this quote of his from that book where he says, individualism has narrowed our conception of the gospel to be solely about individuals finding their reconciliation with God, about my getting right with God so that I can get to heaven. And our mission then in the world is to help other individuals find their reconciliation with God. And the, although the gospel of the kingdom is certainly about individuals getting right with God, it's also about God's restoration of the entire creation. You see, when we read through the gospels, when, when we listen to the words of Jesus, we see that the gospel is God coming to us in Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom reign over all of creation, every like nook and cranny of it. The gospel message isn't simply about people getting saved. It's about God's will being brought into every aspect of life and society. The gospel message isn't about helping people escape this earth in order to get to heaven. Rather, it's about experiencing and working alongside God to see more of heaven invade this earth. This is why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth, on earth as it is in heaven. This is the message of the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel. This is the word, the logos, the seed that's sown into the ground. And then we see Jesus, he provides four scenarios for how people will respond to God's kingdom message, to his kingdom work. Here's the first scenario, look at verse 15. Some people are like seed 
along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Okay, so the seed sown on the path, it's met with hard soil. The seed can't go into the soil because there's just, there's too much resistance. Right, there's people who have already made up their mind about God, about Jesus, about what his kingdom is, what that even means. People who hear what Jesus says, read his teachings about the kingdom of God and how to be kingdom citizens, but it doesn't go any further than that. Right? It doesn't have any impact in their lives in any way because the, the soil is just too hard. Then Jesus describes the second type of soil. Look at verse 16. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The thing about rocky soil is not so much that it's hard, but just that it's shallow. Like the roots can't go deep enough. It, it says they hear the word, they even receive it with joy, but it stops there. Their response is purely emotional, right? Christ has come into their life, but as soon as troubles arise or sufferings come, they turn away. They want the benefits of following Jesus without any of the sacrifice. It's shallow soil. Let's keep reading verse 18. Here's the third type of soil. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. This third soil, it's not hard or shallow. It's actually pretty receptive to the seed. The problem is the soil is crowded. You know, there were those in Jesus's day, like the rich young man who came to Jesus and he said, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And when Jesus responded with, well, give everything you have away to the poor and come follow me. The man walked away sad. Why? Well, because he was also worshiping wealth. He didn't want to give up his riches to follow Jesus. He, he just, <laughs> this didn't just happen then though, but it happens now, doesn't it? I mean, these three things Jesus lists in verse 19, this is American culture to a T. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, desire for other things. And we hear the good news of the gospel. We want to live like God's kingdom is here, but we also worry about paying the bills, about succeeding in our careers. We worry about finding the right person to marry. We want the kingdom of God, but we also want success, acceptance and approval. We, we also want a bigger house or greater comfort, more security. We want the kingdom of God, but we also want to maintain control of our life. And before we know it, our life becomes crowded and the kingdom of God is choked out. You know, one of the things we see communicated in Mark's gospel over and over and over again is that with Jesus, it's all or nothing. Like he has to become the desire of our hearts. His kingdom has to be the primary focus of our lives. Next week, Pastor Diane's going to unpack the idea that Jesus didn't just bring God's kingdom to earth, but that he is the king of the kingdom. 
And that means we can't just surrender our lives to Jesus and step into God's kingdom, yet still remain our own king. It, it doesn't work like that. It's all or nothing. The good news is the story doesn't end there. Look at verse 20. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. We've got hard soil, shallow soil, crowded soil, and good soil. So how can we know which soil we are? Right? That's the question our minds go to. How do I know which soil I am? Well, if you're a Christian, if you've been around the church for some time, maybe you've even heard sermons on this parable before, this is where I really want you to lean in. Listen up, you can't miss this. How can we know which soil we are? It starts by looking at how we define gospel. You see, if I define the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ as simply, I'm a sinner, Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins so I can spend eternity with him, then it's pretty easy for me to identify as being good soil, right? Like the only metric is, do I believe that? Yes, I believe that. Okay, I'm good soil from here on out. I don't even have to think or worry about ever being any of the other three soils. Good for me. But if I define the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only Jesus died on the cross for my sins so I can spend eternity with him, but as the good news that God's kingdom has come to earth in and through the person of Jesus Christ to redeem and restore and renew not just me, but all of God's creation. And that when I choose to follow Jesus, I'm invited into this kingdom work as I live my life, surrendered to King Jesus, empowered by God's Holy Spirit every day in each and every single area of my life to reflect these kingdom values so that those around me can experience the transforming power of God's kingdom in their life right here, right now. Like if that's how I define gospel, then it's not so simple for me to just say, oh, I'm good soil. I'm off the hook from being any of those other ones. No, the reality is like, if that's how I define gospel, as I should define gospel, then it means there, there will absolutely be days or seasons in my life when I'm hard soil, where I've already made up my mind what I believe about God. I, 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 and I hold so tightly to what I've always known and it's what I believe to be right and true that I actually won't allow the words of Jesus to soften my heart and transform me. If that's how I define gospel as I should, it means that there will be days or seasons when I am shallow soil. Times where I say Jesus is what's most important in my life, but then trials, challenge, suffering comes and it's increasingly more difficult for me to actually live out what I say I believe. If that's how I define gospel, it means there will be days or seasons when I'm crowded soil. I wanna live surrendered to Jesus, but there are other things also vying for my time and my focus and my worship. And before I know it, the kingdom of God, it's less and less evident in my life because it's just getting choked out. So how can we determine what soil we currently are? Well, the answer 
It lies in a word that Jesus uses over and over and over again in this passage. It's the word hear. Whoever hears the word, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The other day, Garrett got home from work and he was telling me about an encounter he had on the phone with a parent that day. Uh, He's a middle school vice principal and he's talking And at that time, I was also on my phone, probably playing like Sudoku or, you know, something super important like that. And after going on for a minute or two, he stops right in the middle of a sentence and he looks at me so annoyed. And he says, did you even hear me? Well, like, technically, yes, I heard you, right? I heard words. There was... That was definitely volume and tone, but that wasn't the problem, right? The problem wasn't that I didn't hear him, it's that I wasn't listening. I wasn't responding. I wasn't engaging with what he was saying. When Jesus uses the word hear, he isn't simply talking about having the faculty of hearing. No, this word implies hearing and listening. It's an understanding of what Jesus is saying and accepting it and then believing it and responding to what we've heard and applying it to our lives, surrendering it to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to change us and transform us over and over and over again. You see, the gospel is not something that does something to you apart from you. Yes, the gospel is God's transforming power in us and we invite God to come in, but we also participate with his power in our lives, right? We're each and every single day, we're letting the teachings of Jesus go deeper and deeper into every aspect of our lives. We allow the reality of God's kingdom to go deeper and deeper into our thought life, transforming the way we think about ourselves, the way way we think about others, about the world, how we make our day-to-day decisions. We're allowing the reality of the kingdom of God to go deeper and deeper into our identities, into our sexuality, our careers, letting it transform our relationships, our marriages, our businesses, how we handle money, how we navigate politics, how we spend our time and utilize our resources. Church, the gospel of the kingdom of God means that if we are to follow Jesus, we're called to consciously live out his reign in every area of our lives. The gospel is not just believing so that we can secure our eternity. It's right now in every area of our lives, submitting ourselves to the kingship of Jesus and allowing the kingdom of God to be evident in every area of our life. I'll close with this thought though. None of that, none of that can be done apart from community. Like if the good news of the gospel isn't simply about me individually, but about all of creation collectively, then my response must be collective as well. If the kingdom of God isn't simply about me being made right with God, but about God restoring every relationship, about God reestablishing the perfect community that existed back in the garden, back in Genesis 1 and 2, perfect community, not just between God and humans, but also between humans and humans. 
right? Then my response to that must be to like resist my propensity for individualism and to instead intentionally seek to live this out within the context of community as well. And so when we think of these four types of soils, we shouldn't just think through like the lens of, well, what type of soil am I? I guarantee none of Jesus' listeners that day thought through it in that lens. No, instead, we also need to think through the lens of what type of soil are we? The people that I spend the most time with, the, the Christians that I surround myself with and live life with, what type of soil are we? Can you imagine like if we collectively as Cornerstone Fellowship were known for being a community of Jesus followers who helped each other become good soil through the way that we live life with one another, through the way we study and we discuss and we engage and we wrestle with these words, these teachings of Jesus together. Could you imagine if we were a community who helped each other become good soil through the way that we support and build up one another, the way we listen to and respect and are accountable to one another, through the way we serve and sacrifice and are generous with one another? Oh, man, the result would be a rich soil where the seed, the good news of the kingdom of God, it's able to just grow and flourish and we see the fruit of God's kingdom right here, right now, not just in our lives, not just in our church, but in our community as well. Of course, on the Bay Area is the most unchurched area of our entire nation. Man, what better opportunity do we have to be good soil? And Jesus says the result will be a harvest one that is 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Harvest, by the way, in the Hebrew scriptures, it most often always is a picture of the arrival of God's kingdom. The harvest, the first fruits, is always referring to God's kingdom. When we allow the gospel to go deep, the kingdom of God is manifest in and through our lives and a miraculous harvest is produced. I mean, think about it. Like, a harvest isn't just for us, right? It's for others. I mean, if I produce a harvest 30, 60, 100 times what was sown, but I keep it all for me, right? I just make it all about me. The harvest is going to be wasted. You see, being good soil, it doesn't just benefit me or you. It benefits the many. How are we being good soil so that many can experience the harvest, so that many can experience the restoration and renewal that God's kingdom brings? How are we being good soil collectively so that those around us would look at our community of cornerstone Jesus followers and they would see daily, like tangible evidence of God's kingdom displayed here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Man, I want to be that church. Let's pray. God, you are such a good 
and loving God who cares about us and loves us, that, that you came for us. You gave everything for us so that we could be made right with you. But God, that's not the end of the story. Our personal reconciliation with you is not the end of the story. Your story is so much bigger than that. Your story, your plan, your purpose is your kingdom coming to earth and redeeming and restoring and renewing everything in it. And you want us to be a part of that plan. God, I pray that you would open our hearts to begin to wrestle with the ways in which we live our faith purely for ourselves, purely for, from an individualistic perspective. God, I pray that you would show us how to think bigger, how to think communally, and not just think that, but live that way. God, I pray that you would teach us in small ways every single day how to live out your kingdom collectively as Cornerstone Fellowship in the East Bay Area of California, God that you would teach us how to live this out, that we would, we would help and encourage and challenge one another to be good soil so that we would see your kingdom harvest in our lives, working through our lives and transforming the community around us, Lord. That through Cornerstone Fellowship, we would see the kingdom of God here in the Bay Area as it is in heaven. We love you, God, and we pray these things in your matchless and mighty name. Amen.